Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We have one final sermon in our fall sermon series. How often do you spend time thinking about heavenly things? Is there something dangerous about keeping our minds so heavenly focused? Or is there some earthly benefit? You're listening to Hometown Exiles, Called to His Eternal Glory by Rev. Peter Yonker. We come to the end of our Hometown Exiles series, and fittingly, for the very last sermon in this series, I'll read the very end of Peter's uh, letter, his first letter. So that will be uh, verses 8 through 14 of 1 Peter 5. And as often happened during this series, I, I will read this, and I will talk about this text, of this, this, these verses. But uh, the, the subject that this, this, these verses raise is something that goes throughout Peter's letter. So I will be referring to other passages in Peter as we go to elucidate this theme. As I read, um, I'm going to focus especially on verses 10 and 11, because in those verses, Peter lifts up for us a certain habit of mind that is held by hometown exiles. He tells us something that he wants hometown exiles to keep at the front of our mind and the front of our imaginations in the center of our heart in verses 10 and 11. Listen, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And now here's verses 10 and 11. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as faithful brother, I've written you briefly, encouraging you to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who was in Babylon, that's Rome, she who was in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. This is the word of the Lord. So in verse 10 and 11, where does Peter direct our heart? Where does Peter direct our mind? He directs it to heaven. He directs it to the heavenly places. He directs us to the eternal glory that we have in Christ. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will, after you've suffered for a little while, restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He he points our hearts, he points our minds, he points our imaginations in a heavenly direction. And that's something Peter does a lot. If you read through this letter, and if you've been listening carefully to this letter as I've read it, throughout these last couple months, you will hear that Peter often refers to heaven and to the second coming of Jesus. Let me just run through, I I went through the the book that I found at least nine places where he's very explicit about referring to heaven or the second coming of Jesus. And I'll just a few of those times. First time he does it, chapter 1, verse 4, where he talks about that inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade that is kept in heaven for us. And then in chapter 1, verse 7, he does it again. 
Your trials have come so that your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Okay, when Christ is revealed, that's referring to his return, his second coming. Chapter 1, verse 13. You are called to set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ is revealed, second coming. Chapter 3, he points to the heavenly throne room of God, and he says this, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and power in submission to him. Points to the heavenly places. Finally, in chapter 4, he reminds the people in Asia Minor that all people of the world must give account to the one who will judge the living and the dead. If you read through 1 Peter, it's very clear that he walks around with this lively sense of the reality of heaven and the reality of Christ's return. And it's very clear that he wants us to walk around with a lively sense of heaven and the reality of Christ's return. He wants that reality to be part of our imaginative life. As we're living our days, as we're going about our daily lives, that's part of what helps us frame the way we look at our reality. That's what Peter wants. So the obvious question is, is that part of what frames our reality? Do you and I walk around with a lively sense and expectation of the return of Jesus Christ? Now, we believe in it, obviously. You profess that belief in it again today when you said the Apostles' Creed. I believe that he'll come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe it. But is it part of our imaginative life? As you're going about your daily business, do you think about it? Not really. If I can project a little, I certainly, and I'll admit this, don't wake up in the morning saying to myself, I wonder if Jesus will return today. I don't think that most of you do either. My experience, based on conversation, based on my interactions with you and with other Christians, we think more about our retirement accounts than we do about his return. And there are good reasons for this, right? I don't want to sort of finger wag at you to start off the day. There's good reasons why we don't think of his second coming all the time. First of all, it's been a while. When First Peter was written, I've suggested a date of 64 AD. I could be wrong about that. Scholars disagree. But even if I'm off by a few years, it was only a few years after Jesus ascended into heaven and said, I'll be back. So it's understandable that those people should sort of be poised and ready for Christ to return. For us, it's been 2,000 years. We are slightly less poised. We're also not so focused on Christ's return and the reality of heaven because we've seen some people who are intensely focused on that and sometimes those people do and say crazy things. People like Harold Camping. Do you know this name, Harold Camping? He is of our tribe. He left our tribe in 1988, but he was a Christian Reformed person. And he started a radio ministry, became very successful. I think it was called Family Christian Radio or something like that. It had over 100 stations nationwide. And at some point in that ministry, Harold got really into predicting when the second coming was going to happen, and he became extremely sure, and he preached with real passion and real conviction, um, and he was very compelling, obviously, because a lot of people believed him, that Jesus would return on May 21, 2011. There were billboards in town, if you remember, telling us about this back in 2011. And a lot of people gave a lot of money to Harold. A lot of people gave a good portion of their life savings to Harold. 
And then May 21 came and went, and Jesus did not return, and Harold died two years later, and a lot of people's lives were negatively impacted by Harold's obsession. So people like Harold Camping make us a little bit leery about thinking too much about the second coming. And finally, we don't think about the second coming so much because we got it pretty good right now. I could say that even in the middle of COVID. Compared to the rest of the world and certainly compared to the sweep of history, we are prosperous and we are secure. And someone once said, and I think this someone was probably Richard Mao, that um, when Christians are in dire straits, when we're really, really suffering, that's the time when we sing, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. But when we're prosperous, we like to switch over to, this is my father's world. We are in a secure place, so we don't think as much or long for the second coming. But that's too bad. Because not only does Peter call us, obviously, to think about it, not only does Peter call us to have a lively imagination of Christ's return, it would benefit us. It would be good for us spiritually if this was part of our imagination, if this was part of the way we construe the world every day. And I'd like to spend the rest of the sermon showing you how that's true. And let's start here. Thinking about heaven and having a lively sense of Christ's return will help us see past the noisy theater of the lion. Thinking about heaven will help you and I see past the noisy theater of the lion. Our passage, you heard it, talks about the devil, our enemy, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. That word roaring is a really interesting word. Because I think that roar is a good description of one of the devil's main ways of getting to us and of intimidating us. And the devil wants us to live in fear, and that roar is how he does it. The New Testament is very, very clear that the devil is an enemy, but he is a defeated enemy, right? Christ has died, Christ is risen, he's ascended to the right hand of God. All authorities and powers are under him. The ancient powers of evil are in retreat. So Christ is the victor. This is our Father's world. The Bible is very clear about that, especially in the New Testament. But the devil has certain powers still. And one of those powers is intimidation. The devil wants us to live in fear and in anger. Because when we live in fear and anger, we are much more susceptible to various temptations. And the way the devil gets us to live in fear and anger is by roaring our problems at us. What the devil wants, what the evil one wants, is our problems, our worries, to be roaring in our ears all the time. He wants us to live at the level of our problems. So, for the church of Asia Minor, church to whom Peter was writing, that would be about the persecution they were starting to experience. Oh no, Nero is the emperor. He hates Christians. The people in my city, they're turning against me. I'm being shut out of the marketplace. What will I do? What's going to happen? i got to do something. This is terrible. Everything's falling apart. What's that roaring in their ears? For us, the 21st century, he wants us to be, oh no, COVID, this is terrible. The election. Our country, it's falling apart. What's happening to our society? The church is being marginalized. What's going to happen to our children? He wants those fears 
to be roaring in our ears, to live at the level of our problems, hear those problems roaring, and always be in this mindset of what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he wants us to live at the level of the roar because when we live at the level of the roar, we do desperate and depraved things. I was reading Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl this week. Viktor Frankl, psychologist, went through the Second World War, was in Auschwitz. And in Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about his experience in Auschwitz. And one of the things I read that I had forgotten was that there were actually some of the Jewish captives who did pretty well in Auschwitz, and they were the ones who cooperated with the Nazis. There was a small group of captives called the Kapos, and the Kapos were used by the Nazis to enforce on the ground level the rules of the camp, and the Kapos would rat on people if they were disobeying rules, they would enforce the rules at the ground level, and, and Frankel says sometimes the Kapos were more brutal than the SS guards. Now, when the Nazis chose the Kapos, they did so very carefully. What did they do? They went and found the people who were most focused on survival. They found the prisoners for whom this, this, this need to survive was like a roar in their head and who would do anything to survive. Here's how he describes it. They were the ones who had lost all scruples in their fight for existence. They were prepared to use every means, honest and otherwise, even brute force, theft, and betrayal of friends in order to save themselves. In other words, they'd cease to hear the voice of compassion and love and especially hope. And all they could hear is the roar of the voice in their head saying, survive, survive survive. If all you hear is the lion's roar, if all you hear is the lion's roar telling you, do something, the world is falling apart, you got to do something, you will be a slave to that roar. You will do the roar's bidding, and the lion will be your master. Peter keeps pointing to heaven and the second coming of Jesus because he doesn't want us to be slave to the lion's roar. He doesn't want us to live at the level of our problems. He wants us to look beyond our problems, deeper than our problems, to the true story of the world. He wants us to look to the throne room of God and see that Christ reigns and that he is risen and death is defeated. I said earlier that when you listen to the roar and you live at the level of your problems, your problems are always pushing you to do something, right? That's true, right? When you wake up in the morning and your problems start to roar in your head, what your problems are telling you is, you got to do something, you got to act, you got you to do something or everything's going to fall apart. When you push past the roar to the throne room of God, you hear something entirely different. The voice of the lion is always calling you to do something, but when you push past that into the throne room of heaven, Jesus isn't telling you what to do. He's telling you what he has already done for you. You hear that in Peter. You are God's chosen people, his treasured possession. You already have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. You have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. 
The God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, and he will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Not what you need to do, but what Christ has already done for you. So where do you want to start your day? With the problems, with the roar of the lion, or do you want to push past that into the heavenly courtrooms where you hear the voice of God telling you that you are eternally secure in his hands? I know where I want to start, in the heavenly places with my Lord. Now, of course, some people have said, non-Christians and some cynical Christians have said, well, okay, there you go. There, this is exactly the problem with Christianity. You're too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. All these terrible problems in the world, and you, Peter Yonker, are standing up here telling us to just keep your mind in heaven, think about the heavenly things, pie in the sky, by and by, and pretend the problems aren't there. Now, there have been times in the history of Christendom where there have been some people who've been too focused on heaven and not enough engaged with the problems of this world. But that is not what I am saying here this morning, and that is not what Peter is saying in his letter. Peter says you start in the heavenly places, you focus on the heavenly places so that you can engage the lion and his roar. But you do it without fear. You do it in Jesus' way. It's in his letter. Peter tells them to focus on the heavenly places so that they could do such good deeds among the pagans that they see those good deeds and give glory to God. Keep your eyes on the heavens, says Peter, so that when people curse you and speak maliciously of you, you may respond with blessing. You put your eyes on the heavenly places so you can gauge the problems of the world, but you do it like Jesus. And that's not just something that happens in theory, that's something that's happened in Christian history. Howard Thurman, a black scholar, taught at Boston University, gave a famous lecture at Harvard in 1947. And in that lecture, he talked about um, spirituals, African-American spirituals that came out of the slave culture at that time. And he was specifically addressing the criticism that those spirituals were too focused on heaven, right? Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Oh, it's all crowns and glory. And, and the criticism was that that made the slaves passive. That all they thought about was the reward, so they didn't engage the evil that was around them. And Thurman said, that is absolutely untrue. He said, the opposite is true. He said that those spirituals, with their focus on heaven and Christ's return, gave them courage because they knew there was a justice from a judge that they couldn't bring themselves. And it gave them hope when the circumstances around them, by human standards, seemed completely hopeless. Here's exactly what he said. These spirituals taught slaves how to ride high in life, to look squarely in the face of those facts that argue dramatically against all hope, and to use those facts as a raw material out of which they fashioned hope in their environment, with all that, that their environment with all its cruelty could not crush. This enabled them to reject annihilation and affirm a terrible right to live. It didn't make them passive. It made them fierce. And fierce like Jesus is fierce. It reminds me of something Martin Luther King said. Someone else who was fierce like Jesus. So he said this when he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize. And the thing that he says is something that I think only a, a Christian who has his mind on heaven could say. This is what King said. 
I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. That is why right temporarily defeated is always stronger than evil triumphant. Of course, the Apostle Peter said it first when he said, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a little while, will restore you. And he will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you reign in the heavenly places and that you shall return to make us strong, firm, and steadfast and to establish your heavenly glory on this earth. Lord, keep this vision burning bright in our imaginations, especially in times like this when the troubles of the world roar in our ears. Lord, make us strong, firm, and steadfast to be people of hope in a time um, where despair is ascendant. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.